0: You're listening to Renew Church OC's podcast. I'm Pastor Wilson. Hope you had an amazing quarantine giving, and I can't wait for Christmas and the new year. We've never needed to celebrate Christmas more. Our new series is Called to Be. Based on a collection of children's books I wrote with my wife and a small team from Renew. Our hope is that these books will help people find their calling and join in in God's redemptive story. We're a nonprofit that supports the foster community. We hope that the money raised will be able to help families that renew through the adoption process, fund foster kids camps through Royal Family Kids, and also help provide funding for transitional homes with OC United. I'd love for you to check out our full collection of journals and books. The link is in the description. CalledToBeProject.com. This Sunday, we'll be going through the book Called to Seek Justice with Jesus. As we think about the racial injustice of our society and just the sheer violence we experience within ourselves and in the cities around us, we look to Jesus for answers on what it looks like to bring justice into, into the world and why a good God would allow for injustice to exist in the world around us. We hope that this sermon will be an invitation to seek justice with Jesus. I also have the privilege of interviewing Myron Steves, who is the Dean of Trinity Law School, where I was able to serve as a chaplain for a year. He gives us insight on what it looks like to seek justice through the legal profession. I hope you enjoy the message. All right, welcome back. I hope you got some lively discussion in. And I think this question hangs heavy in different moments of our lives or in history. When we think about mass shootings uh, in Vegas, my friends were there and just completely traumatized by that experience. School shootings have been horrific. Um, Even when we think about, you know, self-injury or or the gruesome acts we've heard in murder and rape uh, the violence that we see in war and regime regime change there's just so much uh grotesque things that we weren't meant to be a part of and we can all envision a world that was that's peaceful that lives in harmony where people don't hurt each other and And one of the main questions that people wrestle with is why didn't God make a world like that? Well, again, we look at this bigger story and I think that when you step away and see the arc of Scripture, it answers so many of these questions maybe even better than propositional truths or a philosophical argument. When you look at Eden uh, on this first slide, we see that God made the world uh, perfectly. In the beginning, he created peace throughout the heavens and the earth. So you look at Eden and you see this perfect world being created. And it's really in the fall that we have people hurt one another and violence um, where you have injustice reigning in, in the earth. And then we see God redeem us from violence and injustice into a just world through these three movements in human history. Israel and the way that God uh, set up a kingdom with laws and gave judges and kings the task to bring justice. We see Jesus do this in his life on earth and in his death. And then we see him call us into professions of seeking justice in our occupations to allow his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And then lastly, in the new earth, we see this full circle back to Eden Again, a world in which we have justice and peace and harmony with one another and with the Lord. And so that's kind of the big story arc of all of our um, Call to Be series. We look at our occupation, how it's formed through Eden and the fall, and the way that God would complete it in um, the new earth. So in the first page of our book, we see in the beginning God created peace throughout the heavens and the earth. You joyfully followed my words and helped each other out. There are no crimes or sadness, no secrets. You always told the truth. Everyone got along in harmony. So when we look at Eden, we see Adam and Eve were naked. And it was not only this physical expression of vulnerability, but it it said that you could be fully authentic with another person. You could fully trust the people around you, that there was no... um, sin in the world and so we could just be completely open and we envision what that world would look like in the next slide that there were no such thing as strangers no one felt left out there was beauty in every skin color differences were celebrated and the world was at peace everyone was valued and loved because everything was safe peaceful and loving because i am safe peace and love and so the world that we've always longed for was Eden. And we just kind of envision what it would look like to live in that place where we weren't protecting ourselves, where we didn't have to protect our community or our nation, where we could live in a kingdom without borders because everyone is a citizen and where we can meet someone and just kind of treat them like a close friend or a family member. And just share and and enjoy life and see someone and know that we don't have to protect ourselves or put up a facade, and and like even just you know stopping to think about the U.S. Um, interacting with our world where we assume peace, we we think about how we could redistribute fifty percent of our of our annual national budget towards education or to fight poverty or to be innovative, right? We put 50% of all of our tax dollars into the army because we need to, because the world um, has threats everywhere. But what would it look like even now to say, let's redistribute 50% of our tax into ways in which people can thrive? So that's the world that was created, a world in which our hearts were good And because of that, our actions were good as well. And then Senna entered the world. And we see people not only walk away from Jesus, but walk away from each other. Uh, We intentionally put uh, an African-American girl with a white boy because we thought about the way that we were meant to interact and then the way that we see racial divide in our society now. It says but one day you didn't you decided you didn't want to follow my ways and you chose to go off on your own because we were separated you you were no longer safe the world became dark and scary brothers and sisters would break each other's toys and not say sorry you stopped trusting each other and were told to ignore people who didn't look like you nations feared and hated each other's differences which started wars that left cities destroyed because of sin Hate and selfishness took hold of your hearts. You began to think your life was more valuable and important than others. And isn't that what sin does? It turns us in on ourselves. It makes us um, hate the other people around us. And when we think about the problem of evil, you know, maybe God created the world perfectly and and in our sin we brought evil in. But why doesn't God then remove evil again? Why doesn't he snap his fingers and turn us all back into like good people and and erase the violence and and uh, heart hurt and harm that we cause each other? Erase evil from the world. Well, I think one of my best answers to that is that evil isn't outside of us. God can't walk up to evil and... Take it and throw it away from the earth. Evil is in each of our hearts. Evil is part of who we are, and and we choose we choose it. So for God to take away evil, He could you know flood the earth again because evil and us are tied to each other, or He could remove our free will. And I think that's how that's the only two ways to conceptualize forcefully removing evil, taking us away. Or taking our free will away. and But the problem of taking free will away is that you also take away love and relationship and, um, and voluntary good. Because all of those things are built on the foundation of free will. Um, once you don't allow people to choose to love you, they don't really love you. And so God does something else. He starts redeeming us. Through this this narrative this beautiful story of israel he gives us perfect laws that are just and then he allows for these different occupations to come forth on the n- next slide so just judges would fight just for justice and defend the helpless to make sure everyone was protected prophets would speak truth and help you remember to love me and follow my laws, kings would rule with righteousness and lead battles against enemies to keep everyone safe. So when we think about the invention of of occupations in the justice field, we see it come about because of sin entering the world. And it's really an undoing of evil, of people taking advantage of each other, of harm in which these occupations are um are birthed and and we see them birthed by the hand of the Lord as He calls specific people into being judges, uh, into political positions, into being a prophet. When we think about calling, we can um, relegate it to something spiritual, like you know, a spiritual category, like a missionary or a pastor. But actually, in the Old Testament, God calls people into politics into fighting, uh, into being a soldier, into being a lawyer. And so in the same way, he calls us as well. In the next slide, it says, the judges, prophets, and kings helped, but they weren't powerful enough. You continued to have evil desires and hurt each other. So I came down to be with you because I love you. I became an example of how to keep peace and justice among you. As a judge, I stood up, to the Pharisees who misused my laws and I defended weaker people from getting picked on. As a prophet, I taught you how to love and follow me. I spoke the truth even when it didn't make me popular. As a king, I taught you my kingdom rules and how to love your neighbors no matter what they look like. And then the next slide, it says, but you couldn't keep my laws perfectly. So I died on the cross to forgive uh, all of your sins and give you a new heart that loves me. Then I rose from the dead in three days to prove that I have ultimate power over evil and death. I am the perfect judge, priest, and king forever. And so when we look at Jesus's earthly ministry, he came as a king for people who would choose to be a part of his kingdom, right? So we say that the kingdom of of Jesus is an invisible kingdom. It's not marked by territory. You're not born into it by ethnicity. It's an allegiance that each person of his kingdom, each citizen chooses to follow Jesus as king. And then he lays out his laws in um, the Mount of Olives. And he talks about not only what not to do, which most laws are relegated to, like don't steal. Uh, don't break your promises. No, he says, keep your promises. He says to look after the needy. He doesn't say just not to lust, but he says to keep your eyes uh, on your bride. He uh, he gives us a heart uh, that doesn't just abstain from evil, but seeks, seeks righteousness. And then at his death, he does something incredible, right? He, he shows us a third way that it's not, an option between annihilation and taking away free will. Instead, he um, dies on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven, so that we were judicially righteous before the Lord because we are in Christ. And then he gives us this new heart for those who choose him. A heart that is similar to the heart of Adam and Eve in Eden. A heart that is similar to... To the heart of Christ, where we aren't just bound by laws, but the trajectory of our heart is now turned towards good, turned towards God. You know, the the greatest evil on earth is the evil that resides inside of us. And he's saying that he's going to give us a new heart so that instead of desiring evil, we could desire him. We could desire God. But not only that, he wants to partner with us. <clears throat> to keep peace and defend others. So he gave us a heart to seek justice and truth. And so out of this calling and this long, this um, redemptive story, w- when we're a lawyer, we think about how we can speak up for others and defend their rights. As a judge, we can treat all people fairly and help settle arguments in the courtroom. As a police officer, we can help keep our neighborhood safe, From crime and oppression. As a social worker, we can support people having a hard time. As a soldier, we can work to protect and defend our country. As a legislator, we can create and change laws that help people. But all my children have a responsibility to make sure people's voices are heard and to stand up against injustice. So one of the greatest maybe pieces of our books is that we want our current occupations in justice to be a reflection of Jesus' ministry on earth and how God called people in Israel into these same occupations, that there's a continuation and a lineage in what we're doing connected to God's redemptive story. And then in in this last section, it says, You tried to work for justice, but it wasn't powerful enough. People continued to be selfish, hateful, and hurt one another. That's why I made a promise that one day I will come back to conquer evil and bring perfect justice and peace. There will be no crime or bad thoughts and no wars. And I think what I love about um, this part of all of our books is that there's this longing in all of our hearts that will be unfulfilled. As good a judge as we are, as righteous of a police person we are, as strong as of an advocate as we are, There's a city that we long for that is yet to come. You know, as great of a police force we have, there's still going to be crime that happens in our city. There's still going to be domestic violence in the privacy of people's homes. There's going to be lives that we aren't able to save. As beautiful as the Constitution is written, there's aspects of it that embeds racism and inequality, and as much as we long for laws that are equal, people's hearts will find ways to work around those laws so that racism and injustice and greed still occurs. And so as we sit in longing, you know, doing our best to see justice happen in our city and and making progress towards God's kingdom because a city where kids aren't kidnapped— is so much closer to God's kingdom than a city where kids can't go outside, right? And those cities exist. So, so we are building out God's kingdom as we seek justice. There's still that gap. And so when Jesus comes back, we get to see the city that we've always envisioned. We get to have a man who embodies and enforces the laws that are truly good. And there's a longing for this in the new earth. It says, you will see my image in every person's color, culture, and gender and will love each other unconditionally like I have loved you. You will treat strangers as family and everyone will be invited to dinner. I will wipe every tear from your eyes and make broken communities whole again. There will be no more borders and every nation will belong to my kingdom. I will reign over the world with everlasting peace. And I think that's just a, a beautiful picture of, of grasping at this kingdom. You know, it's when we have a clear vision of the future kingdom, which, which is embedded in our hearts and in scripture, we know how to bring that kingdom to the city we're in now. I think there's so much value in, in hearing and and thinking about the kingdom of heaven because it teaches us how to live as citizens in the space we reside. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God's kingdom and things that we've all longed for um, as we're here? In this next segment, I have the privilege and honor of interviewing Myron Steves. I served with him as a chaplain for about a year and a half at Trinity Law School. It's actually a law school out of our denomination, the EV Free Denomination. And uh, I remember hanging out with him and we'd talk about the legal system and life and as a professor and then he became the dean. And so I have such a privilege of being able to sit with him and help us think about the legal system, its limitations, and also our hope in Christ. So, um, I'm, so I'm really excited to invite you into that conversation. When you think about Jesus and the ways that he enacted justice through his earthly ministry, is there a narrative that stands out to you that inspires you as you desire that you know, individually and as a system? Because we're all parts of a system when it comes to justice. Um, Yeah, is there a narrative that stands out to you? Well, I
1: think the Sermon on the Mount, (laughs) the the Matthew version of it in particular, is a message on uh, justice that resonates with lawyers generally. It certainly resonates with me an awful lot. In fact, um, one of the books that we recommend for our Christian law students at uh, the law school that uh, I work at is uh, John Stott's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, wow. Because it deals with these issues of uh, how the law should be exercised. Mm. You know, it's not as simple as a rule is stated, if you break it, you suffer serious consequences. Mercy factors in as well. Mm. And uh, even in the secular legal system, while the word mercy isn't used all that often, the concept is there that a good result means taking into account all the circumstances in which there are times in which uh, mercy is the appropriate response and times when very strict application of a formula of justice makes sense as well. Mm -hmm. And remarkably, the Sermon on the Mount addresses that in a a marvelous way.
0: Yeah, I, I just think about how profound it is to be able to inject mercy into a legal system or into laws. It's, it's extremely difficult and us to have a model of that and be able to um, follow in the spirit of mercy is an amazing thing. As you think about um, laws that are just and unjust, we've had some conversation as a church about the black community and some of the injustices that they've suffered through many years, but even those ramifications now are there laws? I mean, you're so familiar with the legal system that you feel like are maybe applied equally, but still, it still has a heavier consequence for the black community, or laws that you you feel like are targeted um, in an unjust way towards people of color, as you kind of look, as you think about, you know, our our legal system. The, the the law in the
1: manner which it's dealt with racial issues has evolved over the years. And going back um, in the pre-Civil War era, we absolutely had laws that were inherently evil hmm. in that uh, they did not treat everybody like they were the same um, under God's creation. Once slavery was outlawed, there still remained the problems that uh, you can make life miserable on racial grounds without actually having slavery. Mm. And uh, this led to all the problems that uh, the country suffered from uh, the 1870s until well into the 1970s, where you had laws that were racially based that made the government enforce racism. Mm. And these would be the Jim Crow laws, for example. Um, Structural laws that may not have mentioned race, but were absolutely uh, based upon it. For example, very, very strange voting laws in uh, the South that would say, for example, you must be literate Mm. in order to vote. However, if your family has been voting for three generations, you don't have to prove your literacy. Well, that was a very specific yeah. type of law that was to make, designed to make sure that illiterate white people could still vote, mm. but you could have a literacy test that would prevent most of the black population voting because of, of the tendency to um, have lower literacy rates in the South for uh, black immediate descendants of uh, the slave era. Mm-hmm well by the 1970s the the law changed profoundly and we should never forget how much that did change hmm. where um the laws as written prohibited the government from taking race into account on the state level as well on the state level as well hmm. and Uh, That was an extraordinary achievement Mm. and and done with with relatively little violence to get there. Mm. But two major categories of things it did not change. It didn't change private behavior. The Mm -hmm. civil rights struggle was all about the law, not about interracial private relationships. Mm. Uh, Which meant then that uh, employers could discriminate in hiring because they weren't the government yeah, you know, civil rights era prevented the government from taking race into account, but it didn't impact private individuals. Mm. And then there is also the issue of enforcement that you can engage in racially discriminatory conduct without technically um, engaging in a um, in a racial act. It can get very complicated as well. Um, those who have uh, a racial intent can often accomplish their goals without ever making any reference to race. Mm. And uh, there's a very well-known example. This is studied in constitutional law uh, by students in law school called the Yik-Wo decision from the 19th century. It took place in California uh-huh. um, where uh, – There was a large Chinese population in Mm. San Francisco and uh, they were in the laundry business. The cliche about Chinese laundries actually has roots in truth that Mm. a lot of the laundry businesses in San Francisco were um, operated by Chinese immigrants Mm -hmm. and they tended to be in wooden buildings outside of downtown. Mm. There were also um anglo laundry owners that tended to be in brick buildings in town so san francisco passed a law that prohibited the operation of laundries in wooden buildings without the permission of the um, city council well that's a safety measure it makes no reference to race Mm. and an outsider would say well that may make sense if laundries are, are prone to burn down then you wouldn't want them in wood but the motivation was entirely racial. Uh-huh. It served one purpose. And that was to keep Chinese out of a business that uh, competed with the ruling elite in San Francisco at the time. Yeah. So that's a, another complication that comes into play as well. Mm. So the issues that we face as a society for most of the last 50 years has been, how does the law effectively work in a world in which, with a great deal of success— the law does effectively prevent discriminatory behavior at the government level mm. but it doesn't do an effective job of taking care of the private interhuman uh reaction and how do you prevent government actors from selectively uh choosing to carry out the law in a racially motivated manner yeah And uh, there has not been a long history of how that is done successfully. Mm. My take on it is that this mostly requires inner transformation of people. Yeah. You cannot effectively have the state mandate, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and really carry it out in an effective way. Mm. In fact, and sometimes it can have the reverse effect that if you push some behavior really hard, people will find workarounds that will actually make it worse rather than better. Huh. And that's a really big challenge. And yeah. I, I continue to think we as Christians expect a lot out of the state that it will always disappoint us. Mm. <laughs> because human nature is such that uh, you need a heart change to be able to carry out a lot of real interpersonal justice and I don't think that comes out of a life that's consists of a transformed worldview
0: mm-hmm. through an encounter with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the heart change that allows for the good to take place. Like yeah. the government can protect us from um, an evil to an extent, but the things that we are to do has to come from the heart. And um, and that's from, from the Lord changing it. Yeah,
1: it's... I'm fascinated by this field because it is so complicated. We mm. we want to give simplistic answers to how things ought to work in the interplay between the law and and humanity. It's just really complicated. There's some things the law does really, really well. For example, um, suppressing murder.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If there were no laws prohibiting murder, uh, we would all be killing people <laughs> all the time. <laughs> But in fact, mm. it's a very, very effective disincentive. Yeah. So we don't see a lot of murder because the state does that very well. Mm. In the same way, tax policy does a really
0: good job of changing people's behavior. Every year I'm very scared of pressing that sun, send button yeah. on TurboTax. But to give example,
1: the <laughs> the, uh, the government decided years ago that uh, society would be more stable if people owned their homes rather than rented. Mm-hmm. So they create a tax incentive to own homes, Mm. and you see the number of homeowners um, increases dramatically. Take that away, number of people who own homes goes down. This happens all the time. Tax incentives are very, very effective from that standpoint. But one thing that the state is horrible at and the law is horrible at is really changing people's feeling that they want to be good to other human beings, that Mm. they want to love their neighbor the state just does not do a good job of that. It it takes something inside
0: here, not something outside, to carry that out. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um very much aligned of the biggest like solution is is Jesus changing our hearts and recreating us. What are your hopes in seeing the fulfilled and future kingdom of Christ when it comes to justice? Like what are some of the visions you have for when our Lord comes back and rebuilds his kingdom on earth what justice will look like then or how it'll be different than it is now i think
1: um the difference will be that every time we appeal to love everyone's going to say oh yeah that's a perfect result mm. there there are things that uh, that law does really beautifully that uh, are are marvelous. There are actually two examples I can give of this. This is kind of a a long way to answer your question. But um, the law is a teacher. We do modify our perspective because of what the law does. I I Mm -hmm. give you a really vivid example. Um, Child protecting seats in cars. have been around for a long time, but nobody Mm -hmm. used them because it's a hassle to carry them around. And I know when I grew up, my parents had a 1963 Plymouth Valiant when I was about three years old. And its dashboard was made of uh, brushed chrome that came to a point. This was, you know, Airstream style, <laughs> making a knife like edge right above the glove box, right about where the throat of a three year old kid would be. Uh-huh. And the car didn't have seat belts. Okay. <laughs> so, car stops. I would go flying into this knife edge. And my parents were not cruel. It never crossed their minds that this would be a bad thing. Uh-huh. But car seats, to the extent that they would even be sold by anybody, um, were just viewed as a, a nuisance. In the 1980s, uh, car seats became mandatory, for child protective car seats. And I remember I was taken by watching a commercial for Allstate Insurance where it showed a mother driving down the road and her child in in the back seat has their child protective seat, and the seatbelt is undone, so the kid's not protected. The mother panics, so she's driving on the freeway full speed. She reaches around to hold the kid in the seat, looking at him rather than ahead on the freeway, while she pulls over to the side of the road, gets out of the car, and grabs and clutches her child like she's just rescued him from the jaws of death. And none of us looked at the commercial and laughed at it that message came through because of a law that once those were required, we viewed responsible parenting meant you protect your child in this way. Right. Until that law came along, there was no traction in that regard. Hmm. So in that sense, the law is a good instructor, and that's in the same way that uh, the law of Moses in the Pentateuch was praised by King David, in Mm. Psalm 119. slightly different message. David wasn't speaking about protective car seats and valiance. (laughs) But um, the law is a teacher in that way. And the law teaches us about God. Mm. So even human law can do that. There's also marvelous ways in which the law can exploit even our weaknesses as sinful human beings. Mm. And uh, I can give an example outside of the court system. But... um, has increasingly become a part of resolving disputes by courts. And uh, that's baseball arbitration. (laughs) Where in in baseball arbitration, when a a player comes up for an independent contract, the team and the player don't negotiate a price. Mm. They each set the price that they believe is closest to just. Hmm. And the arbitrator must pick the one that is the closest to right. Wow, that's – I never – So in any other kind of negotiation, everybody wants to lowball or highball because they want to get their best bit. But in that kind of arbitration like used in baseball, you've got an obligation to not – Depart from the just result too much, or you're going to lose. And this is a a, a (laughs) genius system for getting people to think what is just. And and the offers and uh, responses tend to be very close. That tells us something about the way God made us. Yeah. And uh, it's a marvelous thing. So getting back to your question about (laughs) justice in heaven, um, I think we will have government in our eternal future state because somebody's still got to organize um, where we have our mansions placed (laughs) and how things are carried out but I think as we need to organize things whoever on the human side is is carrying this out will say let's do things in this way and everyone else will say yes that's good Mm. that is how it should be done Hmm. and none of us will be thinking our own selfish perspective. Yeah. We'll be wanting to do things by a manner which we look at and say, this is exciting. Yeah. This is a distribution of God's blessing in a way that actually honors him, and we are delighted in this. Amazing. And I think there will be an aspect of the law in heaven that we're going to look at and say, this is good because it, it tells us something about the God we serve.
0: Hmm. Yeah, being like even the agent and the uh, player or the management and the player being drawn to something outside of themselves. Yeah. Right? It's not about me or you. It's about this principle of justice. Yeah. And to align towards that and having that type of alignment in the new earth for all of us. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing to think about it that way. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, Myron, I'd love to um, pray and uh, close our time. Really grateful for you and. Thank you so much for being here and um thanks for not charging us by the minute <laughs> 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 well, documenting was, as i you know have a set up we we I just love connecting with you and have loved your heart um yeah, and the way you've lived it out so
1: yeah, well, it's very good to be here,
0: God, thank you so much for um our time together and we just look to you again um we need heart change lord and and only you can give us that and uh, would would that be the job of the church? Um, allow us to share your gospel and see people move toward them from t- themselves towards you, towards good and towards justice. Help us to see this kingdom on earth, Lord, as it is in heaven. We desire that. Grateful for uh, my brother Myron and continue to bless him and his school. I've fond memories of of Trinity Law School. I've fond memories of being at his office when. He was just a professor, <laughs> not a dean, and be able to just talk about you um, and celebrate you in his, in his field. Would you continue to have um, his fruit be born through the other men and women that he served over his time um, in the school? In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen.